Oh, good morning. Man, you all look fantastic. I like all your outfits. Um, this morning, we want to continue a series that we've been in for a number of weeks. Uh, and this is a series that we're calling Word to the Wise. And in Word to the Wise, we're spending some time looking at the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs, for those of you who may not be familiar with them, are really kind of like um, the Twitter account of the smartest man who ever lived. A guy named Solomon asked God for the gift of wisdom. God gave him the gift of wisdom. And at some point in his life, he started to pen his observations and he started to give us his best, albeit unsolicited, practical advice for living life more skillfully. Because after all, that's what wisdom means. It's not about IQ. It's not about being intelligent. It's not about being smart. It's about learning the art of living skillfully. It's the art of making the best and most beneficial decisions in real life, in real time. And the wisest man, the guy who did this better than everybody who's not named Jesus, opted to pen some of his thoughts and give them to us. And if we're wise, we're obviously going to want to lean in and glean some practical wisdom from this man. And this morning, this guy, Solomon, is going to have the audacity to get all up in our business and talk to us about relationships the relationships around us, which is obviously such an important thing for us to talk about because we're all in some kind of relationship or another. And if we're wise, don't we want to come to those relationships and navigate them a little more skillfully? Don't we want to be better and more beneficial in the relationships that we get to experience? But more than that, we exist to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. And how beautiful is it for us to figure out what it looks like to put Jesus on display in the way we relate to the people around us. So Solomon's going to talk about relationships, but the way he's going to do that is, man, a little bit stretching, a little bit challenging. He's going to talk to us about the things in our lives that actually blur. Now, Solomon had not met Jesus. He didn't know the name Jesus, but ultimately he's talking to us about things in the way we show up in relationships that blur the face of Jesus Christ. He's going to talk to us about the way that we tend to be relationship wreckers. Um, you're welcome. Glad you came to church. So um, this, uh, by the way, is not going to be one of those amen proverbs. Preach! This is going to be one of those more introspective proverbs th that beg the question, is that representative of me? Are these things true about me? Is this how I show up in relationships? Is this how people experience me in relationships? Are there things in the ways I show up that blur the face of Jesus Christ? And to put you out of your misery right away, let me tell you that everything we're going to see is going to be something that is true in every one of us at some point or another, to some degree or another. And so what this ultimately is, is an invitation into navigating more skillfully and showing up more beautifully in our relationships. Proverbs chapter 27. If you have a copy of the scripture, I would encourage you to turn there. 
Um, if you don't own um, a physical Bible, please allow us the privilege of gifting one to you. And so uh, at the end of this service, you can feel free to head to uh, the Connection Corner and the smiling face over there will be glad to give you a Bible, our gift to you. Um, otherwise, in the meantime, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen. Proverbs chapter 27. And uh, we are going to read the first six verses of this um, chapter. And we're going to read them together and then come back and start to look at some of the profiles um, of you know, relationship records, some of the ways in which we hurt and blur uh, the picture of Christ in our uh, relationships. Okay, Proverbs chapter 27, I'll start at verse 1. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, sometimes reading the Proverbs is like talking uh, to my kids, you know. It, it's just this, it, it seems like gibberish. Like, what are you saying? Um, you went from one topic to another, and I don't understand where you landed, but I'm going to smile and pretend I understand. So feel free to smile um, as we read through the first six verses of Proverbs 27. All right, here we go. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Okay. Hey, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Again, I read this and I'm like, I don't fully understand what you're saying. And so we want to take some time to, to, to kind of mine out of these words what Solomon is getting at, particularly as it relates to our relationships. And he's going to talk about a number of different relationship profiles, a number of different um, relational personalities, the ways we show up in our relationships that, again, may blur the picture of Jesus and hurt the relationships around us. And again, all in a quest to invite us into something better. All right, so he introduces us to a number of profiles, a number of different um, personalities. Uh, the first relation of personality Solomon introduces us to is one we're going to call the psychic, the psychic. Uh, the psychic might be you, in which case you knew I'd say that and you know what I'm going to say next. But uh, did you see this person in verse one? Look again at verse one. He says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Okay, uh, the psychic is the personality who shows up in relationships and tends to talk overconfidently about the future. 
This is a person who majors in conversations that tend to major in sentences that tend to start with one day when. There's a lot of that tone in their conversations. Ooh, I've got a couple of things cooking right now in the kitchen. Boy, I'm working on some things and watch they're about to take place. There's this constant um, allusion to future plans. I'm saving up. For, for that vacation, and it's, it's coming. And oh man, if you want to see some pictures, it's going to be awesome. We're going to go, we're going to, go to this place, we're going to do these things, and I just want to let you in on my future awesome plans. And then we're going to adopt some kids, and these kids are just amazing. Let me show you these kids, and this is what they're going to be like, and then our life is going to be so full and rich, and all of this and the other. Ah, oh, man, I'm going to graduate. And after I graduate, I'm going to go to Montana, you know, to, to graduate school. And I'm going to work part-time in like a, like a squirrel slaughterhouse or something like that. But it's going to be pretty amazing. But let me just give you um, a lot of thoughts about my future plans. Yeah, I'm in a conversation with a guy right now. And um, I'm about to get me a man and uh, have me some Olympic gold medal kids, you know, and um, on and on this goes. So this is a person who is constantly talking about, in particular, impressive things that they plan to do, impressive things that are coming up in their calendar in the future that they are going to accomplish, that they're going to experience, that they are going to score, that they're going to GPA, whatever. But there's this constant future talk. When Solomon uses the word boast in verse 1, he's not using the word boast in the bragging sense as much as he's actually using the word boast in the banking sense. He's talking about someone who banks on the future like it's some kind of a guarantee. The tone of their conversation is constantly like, no, I'm going to do this, and this is going to happen, and it's going to be awesome. And that's the tone of their communication. And Solomon is saying, stop it. A, take it down a notch. You're not a psychic. God is the only one who can guarantee and shape and, you know, massage the future. So it would serve you well to speak in those humble, muted tones of, I hope I get to, but that is God's call. Okay, Solomon, but what does this have to do with how I show up in relationships? Great question. The psychic is not the best or most beneficial person in relationships, not because they care about the future but because it tends to make them unavailable right now. The problem is not that you allude to the future, but that it has made you allergic to the present. Banking on tomorrow so much that you are robbed of today. And yes, I thought about that when I crafted that sentence about banking and robbing. I work that hard for you. I think you should know. Um... Now, here's how it works. When we were growing up, we were uh, uh, on the poorer side of the economic spectrum. And uh, yet I had rich friends in my life. So I still remember uh, one time one of my wealthy friends came to my house and surprised me. I had no idea he was coming. He just showed up and there he was. Uh, walks into my room while I'm asleep. 
So I'm sleeping on the ground on a mattress. Um, you know, just the room is in complete and utter disarray. So he walks in and he wakes me up and I wake up and I am mortified. Because I can't believe he's seeing me like this. So my immediate instinctive response wasn't to welcome him. It wasn't to offer him a drink. It wasn't to say anything like that. It was to burst into a slew of lies. I started to say to him like, hey, I just want to let you know that our home is under construction. And uh, man, we're working on some things right now and we're going to add to the wing here over here. In fact, we're going to knock down this wall and my room is going to be bigger. And so, you know, all the furniture has been moved out and it's going to be moved back in and it's going to be awesome, awesome, awesome. I, I thought I should let you know. And what, what I was doing in that moment was experiencing my insecurity in who I was right now and was trying to distract him by saying, hey, don't worry about this old thing. Don't worry about who I am and what I am right now. I want you to look at what I will be and what, what, what I'll accomplish one day when. And so I directed him immediately to the future. Wasn't even true, but I directed him to the future. Lest he look at me and see who I am today. And I think there is that insinuation about the psychic, even in some of what uh, Solomon suggests in relationships here. I'm so unsatisfied with who I am now, but I need you to know that I will be better one day and I will be more one day and I'm going to do some things one day. So, hey, can you relate not to who I am today, but what I might be one day and I'm banking on the future. The problem with that is I cannot have a relationship with who you will be one day. I can only have a relationship with who you are right now. The reason this hurts relationships and even blurs what Jesus is like is because, listen, I don't, I don't know the 10 pounds lighter version of you. I'm just trying to hug you, you. Today, no, 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 don't touch me. But one day, I'm going to be awesome and I'm going to be in shape and then we can connect then. And, and, you know, this is the dad who may not explicitly say it, but in essence communicates, hey, listen, I'm working on some things and I'm about to get me that promotion. And when I do, ooh, we're going to have so much more money and we're going to have so much more margin and we're going to be able to, to engage so much more beautifully one day when the problem is your kids cannot be raised by future dad. And they may not be around long enough. You don't know what tomorrow holds. So what Solomon is saying about the psychic is you are so concerned with what will happen in the future that you're unavailable today and people can't know you. You're elusive. You are hard to embrace because you're constantly thinking about one day after you graduate and your roommate is, can we hang out for just two minutes a semester? Just two. Well, yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm working on something. One day, when? Solomon is saying, don't be that person in relationships. The wisest person in a relationship is present and available, knowing and being known. 
wounds and scars and insecurities. I'm not perfect. I'm not who I hope to be. I'm not where I hope to be, but I'm available. I'm here to be known and to engage. And I bring who I am today, like Jesus, who says, surely I am with you now. I want to know you as you are, in this space called the present. In fact, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, right now, and that they would know Jesus, whom you have sent right now, in the very present. Tomorrow can worry about itself. How is wisdom inviting you to be more present in your relationships? I would encourage you, by the way, as we walk through some of these personalities, to consider asking someone you trust in your life, hey, am I elusive? Am I constantly working on the next thing and thinking about the next thing and talking about the next thing so we never actually get to be in this moment? You never get to enjoy my kids right now. I never get to enjoy my coworkers right now because there's a future project coming up, whatever the case might be. And Solomon says, I've lived long enough to know that that will hurt your relationships. Ask someone. Uh, The second relational personality Solomon introduces us to is a character all of us know, none of us like, and frankly, no one wakes up one morning and says, this is who I want to be. And uh, we'll call this character the promoter. You know him, you might be her. Uh, Here's how he introduces a promoter, very indelicately. Um, Verse two, says, let someone else praise you for goodness sakes. Okay, he didn't say that, but I inserted that. And not your own mouth. Let an outsider praise you and not your own lips, the promoter. Um, The promoter is the person who shows up in a relationship and tends to talk about themselves a lot. Our favorite subject is how awesome they are. Um, And some of us hurt our relationships. And the interesting thing, again, about some of these is we are not always aware that this is me. That's what's so hard about a proverb like this. But we hurt our relationships by our need to constantly promote ourselves and tooting our own horns. And we end up feeling better, but we don't leave anybody around us better for it. It's interesting, Uh, praise in in this verse means to emphasize or to express a virtue or a value. To emphasize or to express a virtue or a value. The interesting added nuance um, to this word, by the way, is the idea of giving praise where it lacks, which is interesting. So here's what he's saying. He's using the word praise to talk about expressing or emphasizing a virtue or a value that I believe is not emphasized enough. 
That's the word praise. By the way, that's why I hope as a church we will never cease to sing the praises of Jesus. Because no matter how many millions of churches around the world may sing his praises, I pray that we will be a generation and a congregation that continues to say we don't believe he's getting praised enough. His praise, his virtues, his values need to be accented and emphasized and expressed all the more. And God agrees, and that's why he set about eternity so that we would have all the time in the world to, to praise the name of Jesus. And even that won't be enough because can we ever truly emphasize all his worth? And what Solomon is saying here is there's a person who shows up in relationships and constantly insists on expressing their own virtue and value as if to say, I don't think my awesomeness gets enough press. Clearly there's a lack of emphasis on how awesome I am. And I'm afraid that people might miss it. Someone's got to praise me and who better than me? Hence, promotion. And talking about oneself in relationships. And so your kids can barely tell a story about something awesome they did before you eclipse them. Because, of course, they've forgotten the 500 times you've already told them about how awesome you were in high school and the one touchdown you scored and your Fabio hair and how long it used to be back in the day. That's going to hurt your relationships, by the way, because after a while, your kids are not going to bring their colorings to you because you're going to remind them of that one time that you were painting that won an award. It's going to hurt your relationships if there's a constant need. To, someone's got to remind everybody how awesome I am. I mean, my coworkers do okay. But Lord forbid I forget to remind everybody about all the sales calls that I made and closed and all of that because I don't want people to forget lest they miss how amazing I am. So let me toot my own horn. Oh, you, you still struggle with that? Man, I struggled with that one time. I Then I just stopped because I'm awesome. Have I told you lately how I wrestled my struggle to the ground like Samson? It's gone. But anyway, tell me more about your struggle so I can tell you how your struggle is nothing compared to my struggle and how I overcame it. It's going to hurt your relationships. If you always have to add a final thought, because your thought is obviously better and more clarifying than anybody else's thoughts. Lord forbid a conversation end without everybody hearing how awesome your four cents are. Because, I mean, I used to have two cents, but I'm awesome. I've got four cents doubled it. Or how you scored more points. No, no, I know you guys had a good game, but man, we crushed it, though. You know, it was very, very different and so much better. It's not great for relationships. Eventually, people start to feel like, well, there's so much you, clearly, there's no need for me. I mean, you've got you. What need do you have for me? And so listen, if you like the way you look that much, then go ahead and love yourself. Um, thank you for the six people who got that. That really means a lot, a lot to me. Um, the psychic acts like they will be better in the future. The promoter acts like they are better than you now. Both simply reveal a deep insecurity and a sense of invisibility. 
I promote what I believe is lacking in me. I promote what I, I, I feel the need for other people to see and acknowledge and applaud in me. But since I'm so scared they won't see it and they might miss me and I might be invisible in their world, I have to promote myself and that way I'll attract them to me and it has a complete opposite effect. It actually drives people away. Because what you need in your life are fans, not friends. People who applaud you. It's hard to have a relationship with fans. You're looking for an audience. It is really hard to have a meaningful relationship with an audience from whom I need applause and adoration. And if that's you, if you're the self-promoter, um, people don't enjoy you much. They may not tell you that because... Well, you don't give them a chance to tell you very much of anything, but it's not wise to constantly remind people of your virtues. Solomon says, I've lived long enough to tell you. <laughs> I've watched the people who have meaningful relationships, and I've watched the people who don't. And one thing that's true is the people who are self-promoting constantly do not tend to have meaningful relationships. And ultimately, we know this blurs the face of Jesus Christ. I love the stories about Jesus. Remember that one time Jesus said, whoa, 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 everybody stop. Did you guys see that little old widow lady who just threw half a cent in the offering? Did you see her? Because no one else is going to tend to emphasize that virtue of generosity in this poverty-stricken woman, but I see it. Why? Because I'm present enough to observe enough to promote what is clearly not spoken enough over this woman. Hey, Nathaniel, I see you. <laughs> You're a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's like, how do you know? No one says these things about me. And that's what Solomon says here. He says, let an outsider praise you. And the beauty of the word outsider is that the outsider is objective. They praise you not because they have anything to gain from you. They praise you because they see something so you can trust that what they're saying is authentic. And the flipping of the script here, Solomon is saying, why don't you be that outsider in your relationships? Why don't you be the person who's so present with people that you study who they are and you very, very quickly get a sense of the things in them, the values in them, the virtues in them that are missed the virtues in them that are underemphasized. Why don't you be the voice in your roommate's life who says, oh my goodness, your beauty, because I know that's not spoken over you enough. Why don't you be that dad who is present enough to say, oh, he has so crafted you uniquely, child, and you are so loved because those things aren't spoken. And in a culture that is constantly beating each other down, how beautiful to have people who say, I have nothing to gain from you, but I just want you to know what I see because I'm present enough to observe you and call it out because that's what Jesus is like constantly saying nice things about messed up people like us oh you're so chosen look at you look how chosen you are I picked you myself look at you oh I have purpose and use for you he is so beautiful 
at promoting what is so often missed and undermined in us. And what a beautiful thing for us to be the people who show up in relationships and figure out ways to be the promoter of others' virtues as we see them, as they are often missed in the mess of who's better than whom. Ask the people in your life, is that me? Am I too busy talking about how awesome I I am to miss the awesome things God is doing in you, to miss the awesome things God has placed in you? Um, Solomon tells us about another suspect relational personality trait. Um, And this is one that we'll refer to as the instigator the instigator. Uh, The instigator is the person who loves tension and thrives on chaos. And so they'll just always find a way to stir up drama or to just bring about the dark side of everything. They show up in relationships and they're just not happy unless something is wrong. And if they can't find something wrong, they will look harder. And if they still can't find something wrong, they will create something wrong. And their motto is if it ain't broke, break it. Look how Solomon speaks about this person, verse 3 of Proverbs 27. He says, stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. The instigator. Solomon gets deep on us, doesn't he? A rocky mountain is heavy. Sand on a beach is super hard to carry, and people are just marveling. He is so wise. He is so wise. Um, And then he makes his point. The person who loves to stir up drama is more burdensome than both of those things. He is drawing a comparison. Do you know how heavy it is to carry a mountainous boulder? Have you tried to carry the mass of the sand on the destination beach at Center Lake? Have you tried this? It is super difficult. And he says it does not even bear comparing to how heavy it is to deal with an instigator who is constantly stirring up drama and is constantly looking for the dark side in everything right he's talking about that parent whose kids cannot win can't ever do anything right because if they do well it's about time (laughs) see how long that lasts yeah (laughs) yeah 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 bet you you mess that up again you're the parent who just the sound of your kids laughing is some kind of a Keep it down over there, all the carrying on and and, and the gladness. Shut it down. Hate the sound of joy. You 
might as well just put a rock on your kids' hearts and make them carry it. That'll be lighter than this oppressive need for darkness or drama. You're the roommate and people have just stopped sharing with you because every time they come, like, guess what happened? <laughs> Remember that happened to my grandpa once. Died the next year. You're like, okay, well. All right, well, let's not bring anything good lest it get skeet shot out of the sky. You know, the person who's like, hey, um, and then, uh, so President Trump, um, and um, here's the latest, and the reason is because it's just too peaceful, and they want to stir something that will start an argument, so there's tension, and so there's drama. Just... Because, no, 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 I'm not saying she's not a beautiful baby. She is a beautiful baby in her own right. I'm just saying, have you beheld how much her facial features resemble that of what's his name? Speaking of what's his name, I've heard, and it just, you can't just be okay with things being okay. Well, you look healthy. Except for this, doctors think it might be the plague, gonna die. Like, okay, well, my bad, you don't look healthy. There's a kind of person who loves to bring chaos out of the calm. They love to and tend to leave people heavier than when they started to interact with them. And Solomon says, you bring heaviness to your relationships. You're exhausting to carry. Because our hearts were created for levity and our hearts were created for joy. And when you bring exhaustion, people eventually will put you down. That's what you do with heavy objects. You put them down. Sorry, but you're just tough to deal with. You're always a downer. Everything is dark and controversial. And you drive people away emotionally. They might have to be around you proximity-wise because you room together or work together or you made vows or they're your parents, whatever. But relationally and emotionally, they've put you down. They, 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 there's just this distance that begins to be created. And Solomon would say, listen, I've lived long enough to tell you that, listen, the instigator drives people away. And I wonder if for some of us, that's the way we show up in our relationships and, and we blur uh, the face of Jesus and we hurt the people around us. The wisest person in relationships shows up and they choose to lift burdens where they find them, not create tension. They choose to wage peace where they, find, where they find controversy or tension. Not to start arguments. This is a person who, like Jesus, who, who came to carry our burdens and to lift our load. Why? So that we can experience 
peace so we can experience rest. And Solomon, if he knew Jesus firsthand, my guess is he would tell us, be that person who shows up in relationships and leaves things lighter when you go, not heavier. You bring about joy. You bring about peace instead of stirring drama. You speak to the beauty and the brightness you see in the world and in life and what God is doing. And that's where you leave things, even though there are tones of darkness. He's overcome the world and we act like it. Again, ask someone, is that me? Now again, be prepared for how people might respond. Is that me? Do I bring heaviness to this home? Do I bring heaviness to this marriage? Am I that person? Am I just not seeing it? And I'm telling you, please hear me say, ask somebody. If there's any courage in you and any desire to live wisely, ask somebody about these things. Because what person wakes up and says, that's me? (laughs) I went to church and they talked about me. You know how I'm always stirring up drama? Turns out it's not great. Hello? 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 Everyone left again, right? Important for us to check in and to ask. And then he gives us uh, one more profile. This is the one we'll refer to as the exclusive. Scary character in all of us. The exclusive. Here's how it describes the exclusive in um, verse 4. He says, anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? The exclusive. The exclusive. Uh, The exclusive is the person who shows up in relationships and very quickly calls dibs on them. This is a person who who treats relationships in their life like they're exclusively theirs. When they're really not. And this person feels threatened when those relationships enjoy other relationships that are not them. Mm, mm -mm. Super clingy. Super claimy. They have a hard time letting you have other friends or other relationships or other joys without them feeling included. Solomon uses the word jealous. If you enjoy someone else, they will treat you like you betrayed them. How dare you? This was ours exclusively. And you're like, when did we get in a relationship like this? You didn't know it was a crime to like other people's posts on social media. Then you did it one time. Woo! How could you do this to me? You know how I feel about her. And you know that we've you know, had some, 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 some history and stuff. And, so, and it becomes a betrayal to them. This is that <clears throat> hovering parent 
who doesn't want their kids to find the light in something they're not directly connected to. And so they become super strict or they become super possessive or they become super protective. No, no, no. You may not go and hang out at his house. Have a good time over there without me. No, thank you. You know, and they just become super, super clammy and territorial. And some of you have married into families like this and you didn't know it, but now you know. You can't just leave town for the weekend without sneaking out in the dark and cover of night and threatening your children not to post on their snappy, chatty, chap snap, you know, do not tell your grandparents where we went. Do you know how they will feel if they find out we took a trip without them? They will lose their mind and you will lose your college fund and, and we will be stricken out of the will. So... Like, oh, I didn't know there was all of that. No, there is. At school, you can't hang out with anyone else. Otherwise, this person will escalate and make you feel bad or even threaten things. Get really down and sulky like you have somehow violated an unspoken contract. The exclusive holds people hostage in the relationship. And tries to make the world really small around them. And Solomon is saying, if that's you, possessive and, and competitive and, and jealous, treating people like they're exclusively yours, not only are you hurting the relationships, not only are you blurring the picture of Jesus, but you are straight up intolerable. Like he just escalates. Solomon literally says, people cannot stand you. I've lived long enough to say people cannot stand people like this. Uh, if people can't stand you, it's really hard to have a relationship, by the way. He says anger and rage that, that burst into flame and they lash out and somebody cusses you out and they, they slam a door, throw a thing. He says that outburst of anger and rage, he says, is overwhelming. But the jealous person, who can stand? He says that's a completely different level. You can't stand a person like that. Cling and claim competitive and claustrophobic. And, and for some of us, that's ways in which we may hurt our relationships and not be aware of it. Do people feel like they have to hide their happiness from you? Otherwise, you get crazy start notching people out of your will or unfollowing them. Oh, the wise person is like Jesus. Um, shows up and includes and connects people. I love how Jesus showed up and included us in his family. It is a trip to me that as a son of God with access and rights to all heavenly riches, he decided I'm going to go and save an entire family. So now I have to share all of my stuff with them. Why? Because I want to multiply my joy so they can experience joy. And I want to see them connecting with each other and enjoying each other and laughing together because that's the heart of Jesus. And I wonder if Solomon wouldn't say to us, be that person in your relationships. In your relationships, be that person. 
who loves to connect people and see people enjoy and to see people thrive and to see people laugh and to see them experience levity even if you're not involved in it. And I wonder what you hear as you ask people. Do I seem clingy and threatened by your joy in relationships with other people? And then Solomon paints a beautiful portrait of the wise friend who will simply call the authentic. The authentic. And he says in verse 5 and 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. I'm going to have the band come on out even as we, um, as we wrap and just give us an opportunity to, to respond and ask the Spirit of the Lord to make us this authentic person. Um, my wife and I were in Haiti uh, not long ago, and one of the things we, we got to do was meet with a government official um, who was going to observe us interacting with the youngest of our three girls to see if we were crazy or if we were fit uh, to be adoptive parents. And uh, so we agreed to meet at some playground, and he would observe us with the little girl. And uh, <laughs> oh man. So while we're there waiting and we watch him starting to walk in our direction, uh, my wife gets attacked by a, an army of fire ants. And uh, they start to gnaw at her leg. That's not funny, Kondo. That's why you're bad at relationships. Um, <laughs> they start to gnaw at her leg, and she is just in excruciating pain. The problem is here comes the guy who's coming to examine our fitness as parents. And so now she's torn because there's a tear forming in her eye with pain. And then there's a smile on her face. Hello, it is good to see you. <laughs> and so it's just hilarious to watch her have to pretend to enjoy our little girl while she's experiencing incredible pain. And I just thought I'd share that because it was really funny. Uh, forgive me, honey. I, <laughs> I love you. But that was my word. Um, anyway, so Solomon is describing the authentic person. And he's describing the authentic person as the person who doesn't have on the inside of them some fire and on the outside of them some smile. It's not a person who has on the inside of them some rage against you, but they smile when they see you. It's not this person who has on the inside of them one thing and then they hug you on, on the outside. It's talking about a person who is present enough with you to know you well enough that they are willing to be both. I will be your biggest promoter and bring, you know, accentuate those areas in your life that are understated, but I will also be the person who brings to light the things in you that are broken and the ways in which I see you veering from Jesus and veering from who you ought to be in him. I will be both the person who praises you and the person who calls you out. I'll be both the person who calls you up. And invite you into harder things. Even though I know it's going to hurt you when I say it. I do not want to be inauthentic with you. I want to be the authentic friend to you. The beautiful thing about a passage like this is we cannot even answer. Is this me? Unless we have people in our lives who are the authentic friend. Who say I love you enough to tell you the most difficult things for you to hear. But that's not all I'll tell you. I'll also tell you the most beautiful things I see in you. Lest there be a fire the Lord has placed in me of something I see in you. But I burn on the inside while I smile at you on the outside. Holding out the things that will be most beneficial to you. 
And the invitation is to be this authentic friend, like Jesus, to be this authentic dad who says, I see the places in you that are beautiful, but I also see the places in you that are threatening. And I'm going to tell you both of these things. Jesus, who is full of grace and is full of truth. He's full of both and is willing to be present with us and is willing to share both of these things with us. And I wonder if Solomon isn't inviting us to be authentic like Jesus. So if nothing else, we can start to paint a picture of what he's like and the way we show up in the relationships in which we are authentic. I don't want to only tell you the good things. I want to tell you the hard things as well because I love you enough and I'm present enough and I'm invested enough in your joy and in your levity and in your Christ-likeness. All right, the team is going to lead us in a song. And I just want to invite you um, uh, to feel free to come on up. The elders and some of our small group leaders will come to the front. Just be available to pray with you. And listen, some of you are sitting in this room and you've been wounded by relationships. That's part of why you stand at a distance. And that's part of why you, you don't even necessarily engage. And we would love for you to come up and pray with somebody for the Lord to heal you and invite you to beautiful places with him and with others. For some of you, you know I have broken and wounded relationships. I've been that person who hurts the people around me and blurs the picture of Jesus, and I want to start a new chapter. And you might want to come and just say, Spirit of the living God, give me the grace and give me the power to start anew. For some of you, you've had a broken relationship with God, and you know it. You've been standing at a distance, you know, talking about the future, distracted by this, but not engaging with him in the present in meaningful and honest and real ways that are authentic. So he knows who you really are. And this may be the day you're saying enough of that. I want to re-engage him with everything I am so that I can represent him in the relationships around me. Whatever you need, come on up, pray with somebody. So why don't we stand and elders, do you guys want to please come on up? Uh, small group leaders, come on up. Let's sing and then we'll pray.